Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, not joined this week by MLB.com national editor Matt Myers. Matt was wise enough to flee the country and go to a European wedding, so he'll be back next week. But we still have so much to talk about that we had to still do a show this week, and I promise you right off the bat, you will not just hear my voice. There's going to be other fun stuff as well. Today, we're going to talk about a few really notable moments that's happened over the last week in terms of StatCast. We're going to try to figure out if Giancarlo Stanton is finally turning it around. We're going to have a Mike Trout update because, as you may or may not know, Mike Trout is phenomenal. We're going to talk about Max Muncy again. We've actually got some audio from Max Muncy talking about his improvements, which I thought was really interesting. And finally, we're going to try to explain something very interesting about Minute Maid Park. Now, very quickly, just before we came on the air, Michael Waka left the St. Louis game with what was termed as a strained left oblique. And I bring that up just because if you look at the velocity numbers inning by inning from just a few minutes ago, 92.8 miles an hour on his fastball in the first inning, 93.1 in the second inning, 94.1 in the third inning, good, great, 91.7 in the fourth inning. So obviously something wrong with Michael Waka. A couple of notable moments uh, from StatCast just from the last few days. Last night, and I hope you got a chance to see this, Jackie Bradley Jr. of the Boston Red Sox with one out in the eighth inning, Red Sox were down 6-2, unleashed a 103.4 mile an hour throw to get Robbie Grossman at the plate. You got to listen to this. It was really phenomenal. 3-1-1 the count, the pitch. Swing a high fly center field. Plenty deep enough to get another run home. Jackie coming in now to make the catch. He fires to the plate. A great throw. He's out. Unbelievable. He was so deep out there in left center field, and he threw a strike on the fly to the plate. What an amazing throw by Jackie Bradley Jr. Twins waiting to see if they review it or not. He went back at a good throwing position. He's got the strong arm, and he fired a strike on the fly to Leon, and the ruling is out. So that was 290 feet on the fly, and that is actually the fourth hardest throw from the outfield that we've ever tracked by StatCast. If you've been listening to this show for a while, you know Aaron Hicks, 105.5 miles an hour a few years ago is number one. Brett Phillips had two at 104 miles an hour uh, over the last few years. Jackie Bradley, now on the list, the fourth hardest throw we've ever tracked, 103.4 miles an hour. The previous high this year was Bradley Zimmer, who had 101 miles an hour on June 2. Jackie Bradley now has six triple-digit throws in the regular season, two more in the postseason. He's actually tied for second. Carlos Gomez and Aaron Hicks are tied with seven triple-digit regular season throws. Now, this throw looked phenomenal, as you just heard. It sounded phenomenal. We know Jackie Bradley's got a cannon. But I have to say, whenever people ask me about StatCast, what I usually say is, it's a scouting tool, first and foremost. How fast, how far, etc. Half the replies I think I saw on social media to this phenomenal throw were something along the lines of, well, the Red Sox lost, or Jackie Bradley's hitting 182, which are both factual, but can we at least appreciate a phenomenal throw? The second thing that happened this week that I want to bring up, Billy Hamilton made a catch, a 2% catch probability catch. This was Sunday in Pittsburgh, first inning against Francisco Cervelli. I think my favorite part about this was that Cervelli actually tipped his cap to Billy Hamilton because it was just a phenomenal play. Listen how excited the announcers got. That one hit well in the deep right center field. And Billy Hamilton, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? What an unbelievable play made by red center fielder Billy Hamilton. Completely horizontal to the ground. Take a look at this. Wow. That'll go down as one of the fine catches that Billy Hamilton's had in an increasing number of such plays. Cervelli appreciates a good defensive play. Yep. Absolutely. Even if he's the victim.
that play was so far the best catch of the year it's actually tied and last year billy hamilton had a one percent catch so this is one of the best catches that we've ever tracked by him he is now a plus 10 in outs above average first in the national league second only to delino de shields He's only got a 291 on base percentage, of course, only 13 stolen bases. Hitting has never been his strong suit on this play. He had 4.3 seconds to go 83 feet. He had a 30.1 foot per second sprint speed. That was a phenomenal play. Uh, the visuals back it up, by the way. I know that's not always the case with catch probability. Really a fantastic play. And then finally, just yesterday, Gary Sanchez, who we talked about on the show very recently, has had a lot of struggles this year. A 121.1 mile an hour shot. Now it was an out. This kind of goes back to some of his batting average on balls and play troubles, uh, but he crushed this ball really hard last night off of Seattle's Marco Gonzalez. Just listen to how the Yankees broadcast described it. Drilled to left field. Span makes the play. Can't hit it harder than that. Right at Span. Well, you know, you look at that average, 194, but you know what? Gary Sanchez does, even when he's going bad, hits some balls hard right on this pitch and just hammers it. Two right on the nose. Good swing. He has a good swing. As they said, that's about as hard as you can hit a ball, and that's completely accurate. That is one of the that is the hardest hit ball of 2018, 121.1 miles an hour. And what I really like about this list of the hardest hit balls of 2018, the top three are all from Yankees, and they're from three different Yankees. Number one is Sanchez. Number two is Aaron Judge, 119.9. Number three is Giancarlo Stanton, 119.3. And number four, our good friend Daniel Palka, 118. Point four. Fun thing about this play is this ball is crushed, obviously, 121 miles an hour. But for Denard Spann, who was the left fielder, a 99% catch probability because he only had to move 11 feet. This is why catch probability and hit probability do not add up to 100%. Now, as I said, Giancarlo Stanton was third on that list. And if you've noticed, Giancarlo Stanton has actually started to heat up a little bit. And it, it's funny because in the beginning of the year, everybody acted as though he was this enormous disappointment. His April, and I understand this is not what people signed up for with the trade and the contract, he was basically a league average hitter. Uh, he is not a Chris Davis, Colt Calhoun type, and he's gotten a little bit better each month. Uh, in April, he had a 320 weighted on base. May, a 355 weighted on base. So far in June, a 380 weighted on base. And the expected weighted on base mirrors that reasonably closely, 317, 350, and 377. Over his last seven games, 385 batting average, 414 on base, a 654 slugging. That is the Giancarlo Stanton that the Yankees signed up for. Now, there's been some uh, talk about maybe he changed his batting stance. You know, it's kind of hard to see with different camera angles. I think mean, he's he's denied it. Aaron Boone hasn't really said much about it. So I'm not actually sure that's true or not. But I looked into the numbers to try to figure out what has changed. And the first thing that stood out to me is it's not about more contact. Striking out 32% of the time this month, 34% in April, 28% in May, about the same. Uh, he's got a... a, a few fewer ground balls but not compared to may so in april at a 52 percent ground ball rate 44 percent in each of the last two months now the thing that did stand out to me is he's pulling the ball way more 38 percent april 36 percent may 49 percent june uh that's a big difference the hard hit rate has not changed it's about better contact in the zone so he's still striking out still hitting the ball hard but i think what's happening here is he's hitting different kinds of pitches in April, he was seeing uh, he got a 29% swing and miss rate inside the zone. That's the same in May. In June, that fell to a 22% swing and miss rate. It's kind of the same thing just for swings, 66% to 68% to 60%. So he's swinging at fewer pitches in the zone, and he's missing fewer pitches in the zone, and that's important. That says to me that he's being a little bit more 
selective, even though he's missing more outside the zone. Uh, when he swung, when he went after a pitch outside the zone, he missed 52% of the time in each of the first two months, 61% of the time in June. Now, we've talked about this, I think, for several years now. Sometimes it's okay to swing and miss outside the zone. You'd rather live to fight another day. It's not all about contact. It's about good contact. I've also noticed that he's made uh, far more productive contact on off-speed pitches, which we are counting here as split fingers, change, forkballs, and screwballs. In April, he had a 13% barrel rate, uh, May, a 11% barrel rate, and in June, a 43% barrel rate. Now, he's only seen 30 such pitches this month, but he's got a 909 slugging percentage, including two homers. So the point of this, I guess, is to say that not necessarily he is quote-unquote back. Uh, partially, I don't think he ever went away. I think rumors of his demise were far overstated, but we always knew he was going to get hot, and it's only been a couple of days, so it's too soon to say, yes, this is definitely happening, but I don't I don't think it's too soon to say we're seeing the signs of it happening. And uh, as we've talked about on the show before, and as people have been talking about a lot today, the Yankees are on pace to break the all-time home run record, and I add John Carlos Stanton hasn't even gotten that hot yet. So uh, assuming this is the beginning of what could potentially be a very hot streak for John Carlos Stanton, that's an extremely good sign for the Yankees. Mike Trout, you probably know Mike Trout. He is phenomenal. He is awesome. And he's had something, even for him, of a historically great season. He's the best player in baseball. There's no argument about this whatsoever. He has, over the last month, 16 barrels. And if you don't know barrels, it's the perfect combination of launch angle and exit velocity. That's the most in baseball. He is 36 this year, second only to J.D. Martinez is 37. Going back to the beginning of StatCast in 2015, he's third. J.D. Martinez, 219. Nelson Cruz, 215. Mike Trout, 208. He, right now, has a 6.3 wins above replacement at Fangraphs. Jose Ramirez, 4.6. And I say that that's the gap between number one and number two, 6.3 to 4.6. But what's really interesting about Trout is over the last week, over the last eight games, He's hitting, and I swear these are real numbers, 696, 779 on base, at a 1261 slugging, four home runs, 11 walks. So if you do the math on that, what that tells you is that in the last eight games, he has stepped to the plate 36 times, and he's been on base 28 times, which is, uh, it, it's almost unreasonable. It just doesn't seem possible. 36 plate appearances, 16 hits, 11 walks, a hit by pitch, a sack fly. Of his eight outs, five of them were strikeouts. Uh, one was from Edwin Diaz. That makes plenty of sense. Wade LeBlanc having a shockingly good season. Two from Sean Manea. And then one from Mike Leak. And I have to think that Mike Leak striking out Mike Trout may be the most improbable uh, plate appearance outcome of the season. Now, I looked up Mike Trout's three in-play outs, and I was really hoping we'd get like 94% hit probability robbed by a great catch, that kind of thing. It didn't really work out that way. He had a 29% hit probability ground out a 16% hit probability ground into a double play, and a 13% sack fly, but that at least got the run home. So you could even say that one of the three outs he's made by putting the ball in play has turned into a run. Unfortunately for Mike Trout, in those eight games where he's had basically the best stretch you can imagine, the Angels are two and six. They are seven and a half games out of the wild card. Not a great sign. So I looked up uh, over the last five years. I wanted to see, like, what is this week rank? Is it is it historic, at least in the last five years? And it turns out it is. And uh, let me clarify right here. A week, uh, the way we look this up, it is very specifically from a Sunday to a, a mon- uh, the end of the week. It's not a span of seven days. That would change things slightly. And when I looked this up, there have been 15,000 player weeks of at least 25 plate appearances over the last five years. Mike Trout just had the third best, but 
He also had the second best of the last two weeks. And that means that we're somehow not talking enough about what Paul Goldschmidt did. He hit 640, 690, 1440. This is between June 4th and June 10th. That was the best week anyone has had in the last five years. Number two, by the way, Adrian Gonzalez, who got off to a fantastic start for the Dodgers in April of 2015, who, when he hit 609, 667, and 1391. So Mike Trout having a historically great week uh, as part of a historically great season, but not necessarily the best week we've ever seen, even in the last few years. Moving on to Max Muncie. We talked about Max Muncie last week, so I don't want to belabor the point uh, that much, but I did write an article about what happened to him. Like, how did he change? Because we talked about this a little bit last week, and we talked a little bit about maybe there were some mechanical changes. We couldn't really figure out what was going on necessarily. And our Ken Gurnick, Dodgers.com beat reporter, did a great job. He helped me out. Went into the locker room, and he talked to Max Muncie, and he asked him exactly about what happened. And I want to play that audio for you here because it's a pretty fascinating look into what can turn a hitter from a, a washout, essentially, into a star? And in Max Muncy's case, it's not launch angle. He makes it clear he's not really into advanced stats. But it's a, it's a look at how a hitter can get confidence. You can work with his dad, by the way. His dad is a geologist. He's not a fancy hitting coach. And for me, it was a really fascinating look into the mind of uh, how a hitter can go from basically unemployed, which he was for almost a month last year, into a top 10 hitter. And I don't believe he's going to be a top 10 hitter all year. But he is right now. 259 hitters who've had 150 plate appearances. Max Muncy's expected weighted on base of 438 is fourth. It's tied for Joey with Joey Votto and Freddie Freeman. Again, I'm not saying Max Muncy is as good as those players, but the fact is you cannot fake your way to this point. That's how good he's been. So let's listen to Max Muncy explaining how he turned his career around. Really interesting. Like when I was with Oakland, I was, I was laying off the bad pitches, but I just wasn't... Well, I wasn't in... Because I had lost confidence myself, I wasn't able to get my barrel to the ball like I should, like I am now. And so, um, you know, I, w- I wasn't chasing bad pitches when I was over there. It's just I wasn't squaring up the pitches I was supposed to be squaring up. And whereas now I'm squaring those pitches up, and that's where all the difference is coming from. And was there something that you did during last season or after last season that that made that, di- that um, difference? Was there an adjustment you made? Or? Yeah, well, when I got released last spring training, um, in that couple weeks that I didn't have a job, like I kind of made a lot of mechanical adjustments, and then when I got picked up by the Dodgers and was in AAA, that was when I was able to start making adjustments to my mental approach at the plate, uh, my aggressiveness, um, a bunch of little tweaks in that area. So, in a sense, my swing was still the same, but I was in a better position to start it. And the swing itself was, you know, nothing had really changed in that. It's just I was able to get myself into a better position to fire the bat quickly. And, um, you know, it was a lot of that had to do with being just mentally being more aggressive, but also at the same, like, I was able to figure out that I can be more aggressive mentally and still lay off pitches that I didn't want to swing at. And when that kind of clicked for me last year, that was when things started taking off. Now, did that start after the release and before they picked you in that couple week period that you were kind of that working was when, on your own? That was when I was like I started working on it yeah that was because I you know when you're sitting there at home you realize you have to make a change because um, what you're doing before wasn't really working so that was the mechanical adjustments I'd made at home but the, the the adjustments at the plate you can't really you can't really do that until you're actually facing pitching so that didn't I, I was thinking about what I wanted to do in that time off but I didn't really start doing the uh, mental adjustments until I got into games. So you were thinking about the physical adjustments. Yes. 
but you didn't actually work on them physically. It was just kind of in, in your mind. Well, you the mechanical thinking? adjustments, yes, I did. I did work on that in that time off. But when I'm at the okay. play, it's the just the mental side. Like, it, I can think about it all I want, but I can't. I can't do any ch- adjustments into. Oh, I want to hit this pitch, or I want to hit this pitch until I'm actually seeing it. Right. So I was, you know, at the time off, I was working on what I wanted to do mechanically and thinking about what I wanted to do mentally, but I couldn't actually work on the mental part of it until I actually got into games. And during that time off, did you work with a hitting coach, or did you work with... Just my dad. Your dad, well, not just your dad, right? (laughs) I mean, he's been with you since day one, so... He knows knows my swing better than anybody, so it's kind of just me and him working on it together. Does he still throw to you, or does he just kind of sit back and give you input from what Um, he sees? It depends. If uh, he'll throw to me in the off season, sometimes when I need him. But, How about uh, during that period? Yeah, he threw to me almost every single day. And did he notice uh, mechanical stuff with you? Um, I mean, it was kind of just stuff me and him worked on. Um, he's he's more on like the broader side of it. He would just say that, oh, we need to be doing this more. And I would I would when you know we talk about that, and then I would focus more on what little mechanical adjustments needed to be made to get to that point. Okay, so you kind of work together. Yeah, we work together on it. And then once the Dodgers signed you, and so now he's not with you. You're, you go. Did, did they send you to Arizona initially, or did they uh, send you right to the team? No, I went to Arizona for two or three days just to get at bats because I had had three okay. weeks off. So it was right. in, a, in a sense, it was almost like a rehab assignment, going to right. extended spring training, and right. then uh, after like two or three days, they sent me to Oklahoma City. And now, having already in your mind thought through what mechanical changes you made, how did your confidence level what what how how did you work on that well that was just uh uh you know at first i'm just happy to have a job and happy to be playing again so okay. it's, you know i'm just, i'm really excited so that's good right so yeah it's not like i'm really excited okay. to get back out there and start playing again and then um you know from day one it's all right well let's start implementing the changes i'd made and so uh you know at first it started off as just excitement to be playing and then you know after getting a couple hits here and there you know starting to get back on my feet realizing that hey this this works a little bit better than what i used to be doing then you know confidence wise it just started building from there it was kind of just a, it was almost like a snowball effect um the more hits i got the more confident i felt in the changes i had made and then before i knew it it felt natural and it was kind of just from that point on it was um you know i i regained all the mental confidence i had did you go back mentally or physically to the that big year you had the your second year whenever that was when you hit the 25 home runs? um physically yes i kind of went back to like the physical changes i'd made in the swing mechanically um that was something i worked with the hitting coach in triple a last year sean wooden um he had pulled up he was able to pull up some film uh, from that year, and we kind of looked at the differences between that and how I was in Oakland, um, and that was when I, you know, you know, that was going back to how I was in that that year, which was 2013. Uh, that was kind of what I was thinking I was wanting to do in the first place when I was working on the changes um, before and, Wooten got involved. Yeah, before he got involved, right. and then when he okay. showed me the film of it, that was when I realized that's really what I need to be doing, and so okay. I was able to, you know, just seeing the the film from it and him working with me I was able to really implement everything I wanted to okay and did you were you able to work with Wooten in the off season after they separated no 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 I just worked with him during the season for a little bit and then uh uh, how about during the off season did you do anything different or anything in particular I just continued continued honing in just the same what I was doing yeah just more of the same yeah so then when you came to spring training you were ready to win the job and then you had you got hurt a little bit right and that set you back yeah, that was, that was disappointing getting hurt, but right. um, 
you know, so I only had the, the week of spring training, really, uh, right. of games, and then got hurt and was out the rest of spring training. So from, you know, that was this point for me, but from that from that point forward, it was all just about trying to get healthy. And then, um, you know, starting the season in AAA, I was just focused on trying to stay healthy and do what I need to do to be healthy. And before I know it, I was getting called up. And once you got healthy, there was no problem getting back with the mechanic, the newer mechanics, which was the, really no. the older mechanics, yeah. right? Yeah, okay. no, there was no problems at all. Okay, great. That, I appreciate that. Yeah. I, are you aware of the stats that you have as far as being able to barrel up pitches? And, no, not at all. No, care. yeah. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> You're not into that no, kind of stuff? No, okay. it's... And I won't bore you with it. <laughs> great. So I love that sort of thing. I was asked uh, at a party the other day with non-baseball people, but they know what I do for work. And they asked me, what's the most interesting thing to you about baseball right now? And I said, and I wasn't even really thinking about Muncie particularly, I love it when guys make improvements because everybody has talent in the big leagues. You can't get there without talent. And we see some of these guys making these improvements to turn themselves into completely different players. Maybe it's a pitcher throwing a different pitch or a hitter getting into shape, whatever it's going to be. Max Muncie so far looks like he is uh, falling into that category. And I really liked it when he talked about when he was with Oakland, it wasn't that he was going after bad pitches. He just really didn't have the confidence to barrel them up in the zone. And he's he said he doesn't really care about the stats, but he is really, really correct about not going after the bad pitches. When he was up at the A's in 2015, only 35 hitters of more than 400 chased fewer pitches outside the zone than he did. In 2016, only seven hitters of over 400 chased fewer stri- non-strikes than he did. This year, only five have chased fewer non-strikes than Muncie. That includes Joey Votto, Mookie Betts, and Joe Maurer. That is elite company. You cannot teach that kind of play discipline. So really appreciate uh, Ken Gurnick, Dodgers.com, helping us out with that audio. I just I just love listening to hitters talk about what they can do to improve. It's, it's the most fascinating part of the game for me. It's now time for a segment that we like to call Making the Complex Simple, presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Today's topic is, would you believe that Minute Maid Park, home of the Houston Astros, home of the softest home runs in baseball, is actually a pitcher's park? I know. I wrote this today. It's on Astros.com. I actually had a lot of fun doing this. I'm going to take you through it a little bit right now, but I, I encourage you to read the article because it just it goes against what you would think, right? The 315 feet down the line to the Crawford boxes lends itself to a lot of home runs. Certainly, you saw Game 5 of the World Series last year, which looked like it was played with a Super Bowl. So far this year, baseball's softest home run has been hit in Minute Maid Park, 89.7 miles an hour by George Springer. It's the only one hit at below 90 miles an hour. Last year's softest home run came at Minute Maid Park. Four of the 10 home runs last year hit below 90 miles an hour came there. 2015's second softest home run, 87.6 miles an hour, came at Minute Maid. So you see these, I don't want to say cheap, but let's say uh, home runs that would have been flyouts elsewhere. And it's immediately, you, you think to yourself, well, this place is a nightmare to pitch, and how does anybody pitch there? And when you dig into the numbers, it's fascinating because it does not actually follow that whatsoever. If you look, uh, pretty much everything I'm about to say here includes 2017 and 2018. So since the start of 2017, the Astros have scored 538 runs at home, 15th highest in the game. So about average. It's it's not what you'd expect from a lineup that we all consider to be elite. When you look at the same time frame on the road, they've scored 747 home runs. That's a lot. That's first by 170 runs over the second place team. So the road Astros, which we'll call them, have outscored the home Astros by 209 runs. That is an enormous difference. And if, if you look at the other end of this, 
Colorado is not the uh, the team that scores more at home, by the way. It's actually the Tigers. And if you remember, I did something similar earlier this year where I said, no, Comerica Park, despite that deep center field, is actually Hitters Park, and here's why. I was really excited to see that. So right away, when you see the Astros lineup scoring so many more runs at home on the road than they did at home, you think to yourself, well, this does not play like a park that is supposed to be a Hitters Park. And if you go through all of the data, pretty much everything points to the fact that Minute Maid is an extreme pitchers park uh if you look at it so i was talking about the hitters if you look at it from the pitching point of view it's not exactly as stark but it's similar houston pitchers have allowed 441 runs at home that's the third fewest because they're really good they've given up 491 on the road the ninth fewest again they're still very good but they're doing better at home if you look at the astros batters they have performed worse at home in pretty much every hitting stat they have had 17 points less of batting average at home 22 points of batting average on balls in play, they are worse at home. 19 points of OBP, worse at home. 34 points of slugging percentage, worse at home. 447 at home, 481 on the road. All of the gaps there are the second largest in baseball, only to the Mets. The Mets occupy their own planet, so I have absolutely no idea what that's about. We're going to stick with the Astros for now. What I really like to do with these things is compare players to themselves, because as I just sort of mentioned, if you talk about, well, it's hard to hit in Houston, Players are about to say, well, they have Justin Berlander and Garrett Cole and Charlie Morton and Dallas Keuchel. Of course, it's hard to hit. Their pitchers are really good. That doesn't count for their hitters. But if you compare players to themselves, then you can sort of account for that that talent. So what I looked at is I found 10 qualified hitters and pitchers uh, using a minimum of uh, slightly different plate appearances for hitters and pitchers. And when I looked at the 10 Astros hitters who qualified, seven of them performed better on the road. And some of them to an extreme amount. Jose Altuve has the largest home road split in baseball since the start of last year. You would have expected Charlie Blackman. I would have expected Charlie Blackman. It's not. It's Jose Altuve. This year or this year and last year at home, he's hit pretty well, right? He's great anywhere. He's hit 300, 357, 428. So that's a 340 weighted on base. It's a little bit above average. It's like Cesar Hernandez. It's like Mike Moustakas. On the road, listen to this, 386, 450, 608. That's a 446 weighted on base. That is essentially Mike Trout. Mike Trout has a 451 weighted on base last year and this year. Jose Altuve on the road, 446. That is a gap of over 100 points for Altuve. That's the largest gap in baseball. Evan Gaddis is on the top 10 list. Brian McCann's in the top 20. Alex Bregman's in the top 50 in terms of hitters who outperform on the road. Uh, you know, Evan Gaddis, for example, he's below average player at home. League average weighted on base is like 320 something. 295 at home for him, 365 on the road. The only guy who really overperforms at home is Josh Reddick. And I'm not sure if that's necessarily a lefty thing because Brian McCann has been much better on the road, but he was the one who stood out to me. I don't actually have a great answer as to why that is. But for this sample of 10, the average Astros uh, outperformed by 26 points of Woba on the road. So again, that's another data point towards this is not a hitter's park, it's a pitcher's park. Let's do the exact same thing for the pitchers. 10 pitchers. Eight of them performed better at home. Will Harris, enormous outlier here. 319 weighted on base at home, 227 on the road, but he's the only one. Uh, You look at Ken Giles, 230 at home, 293 on the road. Keuchel, 265 at home, 309 on the road. These are enormous differences. I really like Justin Verlander. If you look at Verlander just on the road, and this is only since he's been traded to Detroit, excuse me, from Detroit, on the road, he's been phenomenal, right? On the road, uh, 176, 233, 304 line, a 236 weighted on base. So just on the road, he's basically been Jacob DeGrom. And he's been better than that at home. At home, since being traded to Houston, 
He's got a 142, 187, 264 line. That's a 198 weighted on base. So what does that mean? Over the last decade, there's only been a dozen pitchers who've had at least 50 innings and a weighted on base lower than that. And they're all one inning relievers, Mariano Rivera, Craig Kimbrell, players like that. So Justin Verlander at home is essentially pitching like a closer as a starter. And it's, it's fascinating when you look at these numbers, it's hard to argue it. Here's the hard part. Why? Right? You can say, well, this is all fascinating. What is the reason for this? And I went through a couple different ideas. I thought maybe it was a, a, the approach. Maybe they just saw the short porch and they said, oh, I've got to go for that. And I think maybe there's something to that. Uh, last year, Carlos Gonzalez was talking to uh, MLB.com for, for a different story, and he was kind of talking about this. And he said, Jose Altuve was telling me that when he goes home, he tries to go deep. And when he goes on the road, he hits 400. That's really interesting. AJ Hinch last month, the manager of the team said, it's weird. It's very unusual. I don't know if it's subconsciously that we see the porch and we try to hit the ball out of the ballpark. That makes sense, but the numbers don't actually back that up. Altuve has pulled 36% of his batted balls at home over the last two years, but 42% on the road as a team, and even 41%. There's not really a difference in strikeouts or walks. It may be about approach in ways we can't see, but that doesn't really stand out there. What I think is interesting about this is that I'm not sure this is necessarily new. I think because of the short porch, people have just assumed this is a hitter's park forever. But if you go back through the years, it's been essentially neutral. Uh, from 20, 2005 to 2014, the Astros scored 4.1 runs per game at home, 4.0 runs per game on the road. There's no difference there. 2015, team starts to get good again. Carlos Correa shows up. George Springer arrives. Their production shoots up to 4.5 runs per game, but evenly, home and on the road. Now, that changed in 2016. In 2016, over the last three years, from 2016 to 2018, the Astros have scored 4.4 runs per game at home and 5.7 runs per game away. That's when this really started to change. Now, you're probably thinking the same thing I did. Well, what changed at the ballpark then? They removed Tal's Hill, right? Tal's Hill was this enormously deep center field with the flagpole in play, and now it's not there anymore. They've pulled it in from 430-something to 409. There's a batter's eye there. Uh, we can certainly know that that can affect hitters. But what, even if that's true, that didn't happen until after 2016, and we saw, saw this change starting during 2016. One theory I've had, and I've seen people talk about this, is that to start 2016, they installed these new LED lights, and there were some complaints about it at the time, mostly on defense. George Springer messed up a few balls and talked about the lights. I, we're you know, hypothesizing here. I don't actually know the answer. Um, one, We also looked at, uh, because we can do this with StatCast now, because the porch is so short and left, and right field's not that deep either, maybe there's just not enough space for the balls to fall in. Maybe the outfielders are so close to one another, there's nowhere for singles to go. There's some truth to that. Uh, we looked at this. The average Houston left fielder stands only 131 feet from the center fielder. The major league average is 143 feet. The high is 154 feet at Kansas City's massive Kauffman Stadium. Now, there's possibly some truth to that. There's a, about a 22 point in, in batting average on balls and play home and road. So I'll buy that to some extent. But that's not new. That's been the case for, for a few years. So I think when I looked at this, it's not about the space necessarily. It's not about the dimensions. It's simply about the fact that at home, the Astros hit the ball on the ground more and they hit the ball hard less. Uh, both of those have the largest home road gaps in baseball. Last year, including this year, they hit the ball on the ground 45% of the time, three points higher than they do on the road, largest gap in baseball. At home, they have a hard hit ball 34% of the time, three points lower than they do on the road, also the largest gap in baseball. So I can't worry too much about the dimensions when you're putting the ball on the ground and not hitting the ball 
very hard. And I guess uh, my takeaway here is not that there's a satisfying conclusion to this because there's not. I don't have one single answer. I'm not sure there is one single answer. I imagine some guys are changing their approach. Some guys are getting messed up by the lights. Maybe the batting eye is different for lefties and righties. Uh, this is not this is not a project that is going to say, here's what we know it is for sure. But I do like the idea of changing people's uh, impressions of the park. Because when you think about someone like Justin Verlander, who went from Detroit to Houston and got a lot better, people immediately thought, well, that's because he's going to a, 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 you know, a new team that's got a lot of new data and he's actually going to a much harder hitters park. And that actually makes him more impressive. And not to take anything away from Verlander, but I think it's the exact opposite. I think he left a good hitters park and went to a good pitchers park. And I think that has to play into it. Again, not totally. As I said on the road, he's been fantastic. That segment was called Making the Complex Simple, presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage is simple so you can understand the details and get approved in as few as eight minutes. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently at rocketmortgage.com. Based on a sample of Rocket Mortgage clients who met qualifying approval criteria and specific loan requirements at the time of application, results may vary. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. That is our show for this week. That is the MLB.com StockCast podcast. We will catch you next week. Matt will be back in town. Thanks for listening. 